Today on Your Wellness, we'll be talking about mental health and recovery with a former NHL hockey player who has struggled with mental illness most of his life. We will also uncover some strategies on how to manage PTSD symptoms for long-lasting results. That and more is coming up on Your Wellness. Welcome back. I'd like to introduce my first guest via Skype in Texas, Clint Malarchuk. Clint is a former NHL hockey player, an author, and mental health advocate. It's great that you've agreed to talk about your personal story and how you're working hard to break down the stigma that surrounds mental health, Clint, so welcome to the show. Well, thank you, it's great to be on. I'm really glad that you're taking this time because we really need to talk about mental health a little bit more, break down some barriers, and, and also learn to hear your story. So why don't you let us know a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, you know, I, I, doing what I do now, especially after uh, writing a book, you get to, uh, I guess, reflect on your life a lot. And uh, for me, I look back as a kid, I struggled with uh, anxiety some uh, depression issues and undiagnosed all the time and OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. So, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of struggled as a kid, there's no doubt about that, but um, back then, that you know, not a lot was uh, talked about because of maybe the stigma, I'm not sure, but, it, you know, we've grown a lot over the years, uh, thankfully, with our, our mental health and helping people. Um, you know, for me, uh, the OCD probably uh, helped me become an NHL player because I, I didn't feel I was that skilled so I had that OCD tendencies and I'd do things repetitively and over and over I had that drive and was able to funnel a lot of that OCD into uh, my hockey yes there was other things I went through hand washing and germs and but uh, you know I got to the NHL I had an okay or a decent career I guess that uh, my big playing the fame in 1989, for the Buffalo Sabres, uh, I got my, a skate on my jugular vein, cut me pretty bad, and almost bled to death. And uh, not realizing at the time, uh, you know, I came back very, very quick. Uh, I had no counseling. No, I didn't think of counseling either. Uh, again, we've uh, we've come a long ways in in that fact. That, uh, you know, with counseling, therapy, medications, things like that, and. Uh, so it, it was the next year after my jugular vein, I started to have nightmares uh, of, of the incident. Uh, sit straight up in bed thinking I was, uh, you know, going, uh, reliving it basically, even though it's a dream, but my heart rate, my, my heart was pounding. And so I'm reliving this every night and it got to a point where I couldn't sleep for about 10 days. I would knock off and I'd just wake up with that terror. And uh, that finally got me some, uh, some help with being diagnosed because the depression got so bad, it was hard for me to leave the house. Uh, it's hard for me to get up and go to practice and put on that face of, of acting so no one knows how much you're struggling. So you're living in silence, basically. And back then, I think PTSD wasn't really, uh, they didn't really understand oh. it or could uh, diagnose it as quickly as they, you think they can now. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, the words weren't even brought up, PTSD. I don't even know if it was, uh, you know, you know, like the military, they used to call it shell shock, and then they came up with PTSD. And, um, 
So I, I think that around the time, 1989, when it happened to me, uh, uh, like I said, no counseling was offered, uh, and I didn't think of it either. I just thought the quicker I come back, the better. So it must have been a relief to know that there was a name for something you've been suffering with. Did that make you feel a little bit more at ease? Well, even when I first got diagnosed with the depression, anxiety, and, and the OCD, that was kind of a relief, even though it was a long uh, few years trying to get the right medication and doctors and whatever uh, was involved. But uh, getting that diagnosis, yeah, it was kind of because that's all you, inside you don't know what's going on. You've got all this anxiety and panic attacks and depression. And you're doing it in silence because you, you, you just think you're not normal and there's no use telling anybody because they're not going to understand it. And that's just because of our stigma nowadays. Right. And I guess once you know what's, what's going on, then they can start to treat you appropriately. So you're not fumbling around trying to figure something out that might not work if you didn't know what was going on? Yeah, and there's a certain amount of relief, too, that you're diagnosed with something rather than thinking you're going crazy. Right. And and living in silence so now it's uh you've been diagnosed and there's a label and, and they must know how to fix it because it's it's known and what do you feel was the best turning point for you to start your recovery well you know there's a few obviously but uh, uh the suicide attempt obviously uh, uh and i've met a lot of suicide survivors like myself who were very 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 grateful that they were unsuccessful in their attempt um uh, I can say most of us that I've talked to, we, we don't want to die, um, but we don't want to live in pain. We, we want to kill the pain. And that's, I think, why we have sometimes drug overdoses and people dying from overdoses. You know, yes, they might be a drug addict or an alcoholic or whatever it might be, but why are they doing the drug? What, what kind of pain are they really trying to kill? Right. And that's why now it's, uh, we have a dual diagnosis. People, there's a huge correlation between uh, addiction and mental illness right they're just trying to, you're just trying to find a way to get through the pain and get through your day perhaps that's a good thing I get through the day and that's a that's a sorry and sad way uh, to live and we don't have to live like that and now that we're getting the, the stigma is decreasing people are getting help they are stepping out mm -hmm. and, you know for me writing the book was a huge turning point I would say in my life getting back to your question um, it was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to do uh, just because of the open the, the opening old wounds and uh, you, you know thinking you, you you've got this and you don't I mean you're opening up old wounds and you're you're telling your life story and and your struggles and your insecurities and you know uh, it, it was really hard but uh, it was the, I'm so glad I did it because of the feedback and uh, realizing myself that there's not, I'm not, I'm by far, there's so many of us out there well, that, that struggle. Well, Clint, I'm glad that you are in recovery and, and doing better in your book. I've read your book. It's very inspiring. So we're going to take a short break and we'll come back and we'll talk about more about how you're doing and what you're doing for others. And we're here with Clint Malarchuk, who just finished sharing his personal story of mental illness. And now he's going to share with us how he's doing today and what he's doing for others. Hi, Clint. So what's going on right now? How are you doing? I am doing good. Um, you know, every day is a day that I have to take care of myself in certain areas uh, for my mental health. Obviously, i got to, you know, take my medication, uh, keep on top of it. That means regularly talking to my psychiatrist. Um, 
for me, working out, uh, endorphin release is, is important for, for my mental health. I learned this uh, weird thing called meditation, mindfulness. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, I know, it's really helpful to me. Um, I wish that I uh, found out about it and started practicing it uh, a long time ago, but you know, better late than never. Um, you know, being of service is obviously counseling if I need to. Uh, I'll go see my counselor. But uh, being a service is probably the biggest thing um, because I feel like, you know, I, wait, I, I got a bullet in my head. I've been spared from death uh, a couple times, you know, really. And, and you know, you, you reflect and you think, why? Why am I alive? So being of service, I believe, is why I'm alive. And so I have to be out and tell my story and, and encourage others uh, not to suffer in silence like I did for so long, like so many of us do, and that there's no shame in, in, uh, in, in this illness. It's something that it doesn't matter how tough you are. Uh, it can affect you. Our military, our tough-minded military get affected with PTSD and all these other things that go along with that. So that's kind of where I am today, just uh, first of all, daily taking care of myself. And it's sometimes hard with all the travel I do. Uh, but but going around and, and public speaking, um, you know, people that have read my book, they bring it, they want it signed, stuff like that. People have reached out to me uh, quite a bit through uh, my email and Facebook and things like that. And I, I've I've currently uh, been touring some some places that are for mental or health uh, mental be uh, health behavioral. Uh, addiction, places like that. In fact, today, that's one of the reasons I'm here in Texas as we speak is I'm down here, but I met with two gentlemen that, and I'm real familiar with their facility. It's a brain trauma uh, institute that does also behavioral therapies and uh, addiction therapy, all those things. Um, so that's kind of my mission in life now is to, uh, I guess, try to help people by giving my story, but more importantly, now I'm getting some answers where they can go to get help, and that's that's so important. Well, I, I have heard you speak, I've read your book, and you are inspiring others to get help. You're also helping others maybe identify something that they may never linked to mental health. So you certainly are giving back, and I, for myself, am honored to have known you. Now, um, are you are you progressing with? Are you going to write another book? Are you going to continue to travel? What's going on in I'm, your I'm future? Yeah, I love I love to I, I love to go speak. I really do. Whether it's corporations or schools or universities or the military bases that I've been to, um, you know, I just I like that because uh, I know that people come up after and they say, "Wow, you know, I relate to some of that, or I relate to all of that, or you were twins, or you know, whatever it might be." And for a lot of uh, people, it's the first time that they actually told somebody that they struggle too and that they will get help. And I'm just trying to build up a resource bank of, of places that they can reach, whether you're in Sudbury or Texas or Nevada or, you know, British Columbia. So the more education I get on the places people can get help will help me help them. What's the, re what's the response been like when you talk to students, like the younger generation? Did you notice any difference? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know what, I'll, I can share a quick story that, you know, I spoke out of high school, this is quite a few years ago, and a girl came up, uh, you know, the few kids that might really want to talk to you after, and she was one of them, and she rolled up her sleeve, and uh, she had been cutting herself, uh, and she was 17, um, always wore long sleeve shirts, so no one knew, I was the first person she told, Wow. and I, yeah, and, you know, we, uh, 
I said, would you talk to your school counselor? She said, yeah, and she got help. We actually kept in touch for a number of years, and she was doing really, really well. Oh, that's great but, to hear. It, but isn't that the first thing is, is just the acceptance that you're not alone. Um, you know, this girl suffered in class, obviously. And once she stepped out, she was able to get help and heal and, and live productively. Now, did you notice anything different from speaking to maybe a group of gentlemen in the military or something where they're expected to be tough? What's the reaction there when you're talking to them? Well, you'd be surprised because now the military is really opened up to helping our, our uh, even the guys that are still in the military. Uh, obviously, if I'm speaking on base, most of them are, you know, soldiers. And they had no problem coming up to me after uh, and speaking and talking to their, a lot of them said, I'm going to go talk to either like a counselor because now they have these type of, uh, this help for them. They, they didn't have it, you know, that long ago even. Right. So they encouraged they encourage their troops now to speak up and get help if they're struggling. And, you know, again, for a lot of them, it's the first time they heard some hockey player tell his story and they go, wow, me too. And they get help. That's great news. Now, you also are a, a lover of animals and you love horses and dogs. Have you find they have helped in your recovery personally? Absolutely. I have a, a little emotional support dog. I have a couple bigger cattle dogs and my horses and I got a couple goats and it's all, I show a slide when I speak sometimes and it's me hugging, kind of kissing a goat and I said, there's no way I would have shown this, you know, I want to be tough. Right. And now I laugh, I go, you know, it's therapeutic for me, so I don't care, <laughs> I'll Good hug her. Good for you. Um, is there any other words of wisdom you would have to someone who might be watching the show and struggling and thinking, I just want to get help, where should I go first? Well, I, first of all, I go to your lo local, uh, you know, caretakers in, in your area, counselors, uh, you know, even, even the uh, emergency rooms now are trained in, in mental health uh, aspects for people's health. So uh, the, the, I'd say that that's the hardest thing is that is to step out and it, you know when it's almost like a weight lifted off you though once you do because you're taking the first step to getting well so i just tell people please don't suffer in silence tell someone and and, and get professional help well don't suffer in silence that's a huge uh voice that you have for us to talk about it more and i want to thank you for sharing your personal story and talking about strategies that some of us can use and it's always great to talk to you clint so thanks for coming yeah. on the show good to see you again thank you and after the break we're going to talk to karen hordovenko who's an expert in mental wellness Welcome back. I'd like to introduce my next guest, Karen Hordovenko. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Karen's a registered nurse practitioner and a registered psychotherapist. So thank you for coming and helping us understand mental illness and PTSD. So we'll start off with PTSD and what exactly is it? Right. So PTSD is in a generalized thought process is this. When somebody's had a trauma in their life, which has been so emotionally charged up, that trauma actually stays with them for a very long time in their mind. And so post-trauma means it gets played over and over and over again without it being present in their every day, but it's there constantly playing like a recording in the back of their head. Okay. So we heard Clint's story, which mm -hmm. was obviously a lot of trauma, and he, 20 years later, seems to be still struggling with it. 
Right. Why, why is he still struggling 20 years later? Well, there's lots of reasons and different thought process behind it. Um, the whole focus of PTSD is that video keeps playing over and over and over again. And I work a lot with trauma clients in my office because it comes up in many forms, whether it's a traumatic event, a one-time significant event, or it's an accumulation of a lot of events that when there's a tipping point, mm -hmm. such as what Clint mentioned about uh, the accident that had sort of tipped him over and then not dealt with or not properly processed, uh, it comes up later on. So why it keeps coming back is if we haven't been able to process it and get rid of the emotion behind it through proper therapeutic techniques, then it sort of still sits there in the background okay. and then comes out when other things happen in our life. So is that like a flashback? Is that yeah, they haven't dealt with it, and exactly. And some people deal with flashbacks by not dealing with them, uh, and addictions can come into play in those situations. Um, some people work extra hard and become obsessed with working so that they can turn off their mind and stay busy. Okay. Uh, some people don't realize those flashbacks are happening because it's sort of like um, a virus in behind a computer that, as long as the program's working fine, it doesn't really. Uh, causes trouble until something happens and then all of a sudden we have this sort of awareness of something's going wrong and symptoms such as feeling sad and depressed and and suicidal thoughts may be what brings it to the forefront. So do past diagnoses support PTSD and how does that work? Absolutely you know people Clint talked about you know being the tough guy and this shouldn't happen to us and there's a lot of people who suffer silently because of um, because of the stigma in the past but really a lot of people who have had past challenges with anxiousness or sadness which is then uh, diagnosed as depression and anxiety or if it's not been diagnosed it still can be anxiousness and depressed it's sort of like have been primed for when that big event happens it sort of pushes them over the edge a bit faster than maybe somebody okay. who hasn't because there are many people who have had trauma but not everybody expresses the PTSD symptoms so why is that and so Sometimes it's based on sort of how we've been processing emotion in the past, which determines where we are in the present and then into the future. Wow. So why would people attempt suicide? Well, you know what? It's one of those things. If you had a constant nattering in your head or a constant story playing or a, or a video playing constantly in your head and you can't focus on anything else, after a while people get tired of the constant uh, chatter. And the interesting thing about that is people think, well, if you close your eyes and go to sleep, it should go, all, go away. However, the, the flashbacks continue to play, mm. which then show up in nightmares, broken sleep patterns, uh, not wanting to close your eyes because if where it really shows up in nightmares, then who wants to go to sleep? Right. And right. then we have lack of sleep. Mental illness becomes more of a challenge because the brain has to sleep for it to heal. Well, I remember Clint talking about it, and he says he didn't want to die. He just wanted the pain to stop. Absolutely. So that could be one of their last resorts, maybe. Absolutely. Feeling like there's nothing else that they can do. Absolutely. And that's when hopelessness comes into play. And sometimes they feel that that's the only option, yet deep inside, they don't want to. Right. But they just want it to all stop. Well, I'm glad that we're talking more about it and understanding it more. And again, back to Clint's story, he didn't know what PTSD was. They weren't able to diagnose it, and then they weren't able to treat it. So I'm glad that we're able to talk about it and having experts like yourself. 
um, helping our patients and helping our, our friends. Can we make a change and what can we do differently to help this prevent? So I think we can make a lot of changes in, and this is healthcare in general. You know, we, um, we work in a system that is treatment based and sometimes we maybe have to step outside the box and say, how do we start prevention? Right? People have already had trauma. We have to do a better job at helping them eliminate the pain around trauma. And um, talking about it doesn't always work. If it worked, having a coffee with your friend or, or talking to somebody else that had the same challenge, having a discussion and getting it on the table should then get rid of it, right? So not that it doesn't make it better, but if we talk about it and it's better, then talking about it in therapy should make things go away. But it's more than that because you see that trauma gets stuck at the unconscious level that actually is where it's not being processed properly. Mm, okay. So talking about it is really conscious work okay. and we have to go actually to the unconscious Deeper. level or to, or to the subconscious level. So a lot of therapeutic approaches don't get to the unconscious level. And so not all therapists are trained in all the techniques to get to that level to help relieve some of the discomfort. And how do you get to that level? Well, being trained in certain techniques, yeah. um, I, I'm trained in a, in a large variety of techniques, but I also do a lot of hypnosis. Hypnosis can get clients or patients to um, allow that trauma to be brought to the surface okay. and then processed. Not all therapists or psychologists or psychiatrists are trained in those modalities. There's other uh, techniques that um, are used in different offices that actually stop the conduction, in a sense, from the thought to the feeling, um, and those are working for some from some people medication works however as Clint mentioned after years he found that they just didn't work mm -hmm. so is it the medications don't work or is it that the body gets conditioned to it or is it that you know what after a while if there's a fire behind a door and you put a door up eventually the fire comes out and so is it that we're just banishing the chat the you know getting the mind to silence which is what we want but if it's still chattering behind is there still a fire back behind that door are we really stopping what's going on? Mm -hmm. So medications work, yet we have to get rid of the um, trauma and get rid of the pain behind it so people can stop needing, looking for treatments ongoing. Because I truly believe that we can get these earlier than we, what they, we do get. And I truly believe that we can help people get to peace uh, in other ways, much faster than what we see presently. Do you think there's more people struggling with PTSD or we're just understanding it more? So we're, are we getting an increase of that trauma? Mm -hmm side effect or so, are we just understanding it better? I think we understand it better. I think people are being more open. But I also think there's a, there's a lot of trauma that, that are being, that's been experienced. So, I mean, as Clint mentioned, not just um, sport players. I mean, we have hockey. We have trauma from, like, physical contact, you know, in, in, in the NHL and the NFL. Uh, any, any contact trauma can cause not just concussion trauma but the emotional damage from the event. We have people that have motor vehicle accidents. We have people who have had uh, sexual abuse in their life, who've had people who've had verbal or physical abuse. Those are all forms of trauma. Mm -hmm. We have the obvious going in, first responder, finding uh, you know, an accident victim as far as an, a medic or a fire, firefighter. We see those are the obvious ones, but there's a lot of other stuff that we're not paying attention to. There's more um, um, 
sort of abuse from the standpoint of texting and, mm. and that bullying and that all causes traumatic effect on the person which then goes to the unconscious mind and causes trauma. So do we see more? Yes. Are we more open to noticing it more? Yes. But I do think that our world is growing on a level that it's becoming more and more apparent and maybe we're not treating well the anxiety and the sadness from past traumas. Now we have a tipping point. This is very fascinating information. I really appreciate your expertise, and it sounds like we still have some more, some more to learn and more to support. And uh, yeah, I'm so glad that both of you are able to come with me today. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's all the time we have on your wellness this week. I'd like to thank my guests, Clint Malarchuk and Karen Hordovanko, for sharing their expertise and personal stories with us. And we'll see you next time on your wellness.